This is a message for those that work in manufacturing across the UK and Ireland. Do your engineering maintenance stores keep you awake at night? Are your engineers spending excessive time sourcing and finding the spare parts they need? Eric's on-site teams take responsibility for your indirect supply chain, including both your MRO procurement and inventory control. And, as the name suggests, we do this while being based on your site. For more information, visit www.erics.co.uk forward slash em. How can Europe secure its electricity supply, regardless of weather conditions, as it rushes to replace fossil fuels with renewable energy? The overall driver, really, for Greenlink is, you know, part of the, I suppose, European-wide targets to, to interconnect electricity markets. Uh, Greenlink will be the, the only the second interconnector between the Republic of Ireland, you know, and anywhere else. The macro benefits of interconnection, it, it should lead to downward pressure on prices, you know, in, in both Ireland and the UK. Um, it's, you know, it facilitates the connection of more renewables to the grids in both countries. It, it gives a, 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 you know, a pathway to a market in an alternative country for the likes of renewables developers. And uh, there are very ambitious targets in the Republic of Ireland to connect lots of offshore wind. How can the UK meet demand for emissions-free goods transport and the network of fueling stations to supply it? For HGVs, we need a much smaller refueling network than we would for private cars, where if we're, you know, living our lives and we want to drive somewhere, we need a refueling station around every corner. But with HGVs, they often follow set routes or they will operate in a, a back-to-base or a hub-and-spoke method. Um, and failing those, they will almost invariably follow the major motorway networks. So we did a heat map analysis of HGV movements and found that as little as seven stations were required to cover the majority of UK HGV movements. So it's much easier to get the infrastructure in place for these larger vehicles than it would be for private vehicles. The built environment accounts for 40% of climate change emissions, with many coming from construction operations. Is there a way to slash this impact? This power profile is more dynamic than a Formula One racing car, right? It's like constantly being, when the tower crane is working hard, it, this engine is constantly being asked to go full power and then no power, full power, no power, full power, no power. And of course, you know, um, when you have a diesel chain set and you see that sometimes when they have to go from idle to full power, sometimes they puff out a black cloud of smoke of unburned fuel, right? They don't a diesel engine doesn't like that kind of dynamic load application. And so what we do, we, we add a flywheel system uh, into the mix and the flywheel is very good at dampening out these high power spikes, right? And as a result, the diesel engine can run much closer to the average power consumption on uh, on, on, on such a construction site. Welcome to Engineering Matters. I'm Johnny Dowling. And I'm Rian Owen. This is one of 12 episodes originally aired between the 5th and 17th of February 2024. 
In this episode, we're looking at the shortlisted entries in the Net Zero Champion Award category. This category aims to celebrate the work of engineers and organisations as they develop new technologies to eliminate carbon emissions or to predict, measure and report emissions accurately. This is the second episode out of three on Net Zero. Greenlink are nominated for their subsea and underground electricity interconnector, linking the power markets in Ireland and Great Britain. Hydrogen vehicle systems are nominated for their hydrogen fuel cells. Dumeray, formerly Punch Flybrid, are nominated for their flywheel power storage for construction cranes. Across Europe, investments in electricity distribution have failed to keep pace with investments in renewables. To maintain stable and secure electricity supply from renewables, connections are needed between grids. These allow for exports from one country to another, reducing drops in supply when weather conditions limit generation. Ireland has the potential to generate more electricity from renewables than it consumes, but it currently has only one interconnector. A new connection, Greenlink, aims to connect the Irish grid to that of the UK, between Wexford and Wales. Paula Rourke, the construction director, says it will bring benefits on both sides of the Irish Sea and through the UK's existing links to the rest of Europe. The overall driver, really, for Greenlink is, you know, part of the, I suppose, European-wide targets to, to interconnect electricity markets. Uh, Greenlink will be the, the only the second interconnector between the Republic of Ireland you know, and anywhere else, the only other interconnector is the East-West interconnector, which I, I worked on as well, which connects um, North Dublin to North Wales. That's also 500 megawatts. So the level of interconnection from the Republic of Ireland, you know, is, is still quite low. The macro benefits of interconnection, it, it should lead to downward pressure on prices, you know, in, in both Ireland and the UK. Um, it's, you, you know... It facilitates the connection of more renewables to the grids in both countries. It, it gives a, 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 you know, a pathway to a market in an alternative country for the likes of renewables developers. And uh, there are very ambitious targets in the Republic of Ireland to connect lots of offshore wind. So that will give them you know, an additional market to export to the UK. And, and obviously the other way as well, you know, the UK has been very successful at connecting offshore wind. It gives them a path to the Irish market. Um, you know, and and the, these projects are very well supported by the, the Irish and the UK governments and the regulators in both countries and the transmission operators in both countries are, are very much behind the, the Greenlink project. You know, we receive tremendous support from, from all those parties. When we interviewed Paul in November 2023, the project was well underway. At this point in time, November of, of uh, 2023, both of the converter stations the, the civil and structural works are complete. So this is the converter station in in uh, Pembroke in South Wales and in in uh, Great Island in South Wexford in uh, Ireland. Greenlink's 500 megawatts connection will use high voltage DC or HVDC cabling. This is used for high voltage connections as it produces less heat and wastes less power than AC connections. But it needs to be converted to AC at either end of the connection to power the grid. The AC equipment installation is almost complete. The four transformers actually are on both sides. 
and uh, transformer oil filling is underway. So we're basically getting the DC halls ready for delivery of the DC modules, which really are, you, you know, the, 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 the real core of a, a converter station. Uh, the, the control systems have been built and have undergone their functional performance testing, and they are to be shipped um, to the site, to both sites in early December. Uh, in terms of the, the cable works, we we have 23 kilometers of DC cable in Ireland. So the ducts, the installation of the ducts are nearly complete. We have about 22 kilometers complete. We are currently pulling DC cable through those ducts. And at this point, we have actually finished two of the, the 21 joints. On the Wales side, all of the six kilometers of HVDC ducts have been installed and we have pulled all of our one section of cable. In fact, the final section is being pulled today in Wales, and that will be jointed and terminated next week. So, uh, you know, at the start of December, all of the, the, the DC cable works in Wales will be finished, which is great. And the work was continuing at pace underwater too. And then onto the offshore part of the project, we have laid 80 kilometers of cable from the Wales shore end to the center point, And we are currently in the process of burying that cable. Uh, we have buried, as we speak, about 11 kilometers of the 80 kilometers, and we'll continue to bury that cable until around mid uh, January. And then in early April of next year, we will lay the second 80 kilometers of cable beginning uh, at the Irish landfall and laying towards the middle and eventually in uh, around May of next year there will be a joint in the middle to join the two sections of cable together and then that gives us end-to-end -end cable ready for June of, of 2024. There are a, a couple of other activities going on as well. On the Irish side we are building a tail station which is a, a small substation that's very well advanced and we're installing AC cables which will connect that tail station to the wider grid at, uh, at the Great Island um, 220kV substation. So all of that work is well advanced. We're currently installing ducts at the moment and we'll be pulling cables through those ducts in January. On the Wales side, we are connecting into the 400kV substation at Pembroke. The ducting works are complete and we're pulling cables through those ducts and, you know, that will be terminated and, and connected all the way through in December. Long-distance heavy transport is one of the key obstacles to net zero. Batteries lack the energy density needed for heavy goods vehicles. And with the UK government pledging that all HGVs will be net zero by 2040, a new solution is needed. Hydrogen Vehicle Solutions aims to meet this demand with hydrogen fuel cell powered vehicles. By 2035, any HGV under 26 tonnes will need to be zero emission. Uh, and by 2040, all new HGVs sold will need to be zero emission vehicles.
we saw that there wasn't any uh, OEM, especially UK-based OEM, that were producing these vehicles. And so we set to work making a vehicle that would fill, fill customers' needs of long range, heavy payload, and a quick refueling, as well as being zero emission. That was Daniel Masenga Grant, Head of Sustainability and Corporate Social Responsibility at HVS, or Hydrogen Vehicle Systems. Yeah, so we started in 2017 um, and with the very clear mission to fill a gap in the market, which was for zero emission HGVs. And so we looked at the different technologies available and we settled on um, hydrogen fuel cell technology for the best zero emission technology for these largest of vehicles. Um, so that's what we've been doing. We've been working over the, since 2020 and um, we've been really focused on producing just the vehicles. Uh, and so we now have uh, two working demonstrator prototypes. One is a large van and one is our flagship product, which is uh, HGV, an articulate tractor unit, four by two. And we also now have two engineering uh, prototypes, which are currently undergoing the, the vigorous testing needed to, to make sure they can pull these heavy loads on, on the roads. Many of the components that HVS will use are readily available. It is focused on integrating these in a way that meets the demands of the UK market. We're a systems integrator, so we're not producing our own fuel cell. We're not producing our own uh, battery pack or our own cylinders. What we're doing is taking the best components that we can find around the world and we're integrating them into a bespoke powertrain um, to maximise the efficiency of the hydrogen powertrain. The part that we're producing um, from scratch is the integration of those components, but also the chassis of the vehicle and the design of the vehicle itself. So uh, the way that a hydrogen uh, fuel cell powertrain works is, is totally different from a, a diesel internal combustion powertrain. Uh, so we're able to almost redesign the vehicle. We've taken it from four wheels all the way up to, to a full vehicle with this new powertrain, which means we can get increased space in the cab for the driver. Uh, we can uh, maximize efficiency or, or fuel storage on board. We've been able to create a more aerodynamic front of the cab. So by taking it back to its basis and not trying to shoehorn new technology into an existing vehicle, but by building the whole vehicle around hydrogen powertrain, we've been able to, to go into a lot of avenues of innovation within that as well. The move to electric power presents an opportunity to move away from mechanical transmission. That gives more space under the HGV for other uses. So it's, uh, we're using something called an E-axle. Um, so there's no uh, prop shaft down the middle. Um, it's, it's all done electrically. Um, the fuel cell produces electricity from the hydrogen on board. That electricity is then goes to the electric axle, which has motors inside it, which turn the wheels. There's no need for that, that transmission shaft. So it means you've got space in the middle where we can we can put um, more hydrogen storage and we can we're building a lot of the powertrain into the the, the chassis body a hydrogen-based transport network will only be possible when hydrogen is available to fuel vehicles one of the investors in hvs is eg group a uk-based investor which owns both petrol stations and a large chain of supermarkets this link will provide a market for HVS's vehicles and a way to keep them moving. There's the, the two sides of the story is, will the vehicle come first or will the infrastructure come first? 
And with our connection with Fiji, we really feel that we've been able to to overcome that that chicken and egg problem, uh, which is seen in the hydrogen industry. Fiji have made two investments into us, one in 2021 and one in 2022. And uh, the reason they did that, they have thousands of refueling stations um, across uh, thousands across the UK, even more across the world. So they have the refueling stations ready. Uh, they are also doing a bit of investment into hydrogen production, the fuel itself. And they also have a, one of the largest franchises in the UK with franchisers in, in companies like Starbucks, Krispy Kreme, Burger King, anything you would find at a service station, which is where their, their business was centered. Um, and also the same the same month that they made their initial investment to us, uh, the major shareholders at EG Group became the major shareholders in ASDA supermarkets. Um, so there's a, a access to a lot of fleets there, a lot of HGV movements that are required. And so yeah. they made the investment to us because they needed a vehicle that would refuel at their forecourts, would use the fuel that they're investing into and be able to help decarbonize the, the fleets of their their franchises and, and, and as stuff. So it's working with, within that ecosystem um, that we're able to, to overcome that problem. It's unclear whether hydrogen will ever be used to power passenger vehicles, but hydrogen HGVs have clear benefits and they are well suited to be fueled from an initially limited supply network. For HGVs, we need a much smaller refueling network than we would for private cars, where if we're, you know, living our lives and we want to drive somewhere, we need a refueling station around every corner. But with HGVs, they often follow set routes or they will operate in a a back-to-base or a hub-and-spoke method. Um, And failing those, they will almost invariably follow the major motorway networks. So we did a heat map analysis of HGV movements and found that as little as seven stations were required to cover the majority of UK HGV movements. So it's much easier to get the infrastructure in place for these larger vehicles than it would be for private vehicles. That means that as well as building an HGV suitable for UK drivers, HVS will be helping to build the basis of a UK hydrogen market. Dumare, formerly Punch Flybrid, develops applications for flywheels. The company has its roots in the motorsports industry. Managing Director Tobias Nickel explains. In the early days, we really focused on motorsport, right? So uh, the rules in Formula One changed to allow hybrid systems to be introduced in, in Formula One racing. And Flybrid was started to develop hybrid systems for Formula One racing. And we really looked at all of the different ways how you can store energy that could be relevant for a Formula One racing car. We choose flywheels because the nature of a Formula One racing car is that it is subjected to a very dynamic duty cycle. So a Formula One racing car constantly accelerates at full power and then the driver slams on the brakes to slow down as fast as possible, drives around the corner and goes full throttle on the, on the, on the throttle again. And so obviously the idea of a, of a hybrid system is that 
when, when the driver hits the brakes, instead of using the friction brakes, you use the hybrid system to slow the vehicle down. And in our case with the flywheel, we basically accelerated the flywheel um, to slow the vehicle down. So we exchange kinetic energy from the vehicle with kinetic energy in the flywheel. So as the vehicle was getting slower, the flywheel was getting faster and faster and faster. And like this, you then store energy in a flywheel that you then can use to accelerate again uh, when the car is driven around the corner. Flywheels and batteries are both types of energy storage, but they have very different characteristics. Batteries are much better than flywheels to store a large amount of energy, to store, them, store that energy for a long period of time, and to discharge that energy over a long period of time, right? And, and the flywheels are kind of the opposite. Flywheels don't store a lot of energy, but if you need a lot of power and you need it quickly and you need it frequently, then the, the flywheels can play to their advantages. And that's why they work so well for, for these dynamic duty cycles. And flywheels can be charged and discharged without any limits. A chemical battery typically has a ch a lifetime uh, full charge and discharge cycles of around 3000 cycles. If you have an electric vehicle that can do 200 miles on a single charge, you do that 3,000 times, so you have 600,000 miles lifetime range in your battery, that's sufficient, right? But if you have a Formula One racing car that does, you know, 500 braking events uh, in an hour or whatever, right? Or you have uh, industrial applications that are very in, uh, dynamic duty cycles, then it's, it's a different story. Dumare wanted to find alternative applications for this technology. While the motorsport industry invests in constant innovation, the fuel use of a few dozen cars has no real impact on climate change. Dumare looked for a sector where the same technology could have more widespread benefits. In the construction industry, they are really innovative and they're really trying hard to reduce emissions, right? And they obviously operate a lot of heavy machinery um, over, you know, 10, 12 hours. Some construction sites operate for 24 hours a day. And so they have a high consumption of fuel, of fossil fuels, and they also have a lot of emissions that are associated to that. And then again, a lot of the construction sites are in our city centers where we have local air quality issues, right? And so um, these guys and the guys and girls in the construction industry are, are very, very focused on finding ways to reduce their impact uh, in terms of emissions and in terms of fuel consumption. They joined up with one of the UK's leading suppliers of construction site power to explore how the flywheels could cut their fuel use. John F. Hunt supplies generator sets, gen sets, to sites that can't meet their power requirements from the grid. One of the large construction companies um, in, in, in Scotland, one of the leading Scottish uh, construction companies, they approached us regarding a construction site that they had in Edinburgh. And um, we work together with a company called John F. Hunt, who are a power rental company. So they typically rent um, diesel chainsets to, to the construction industry, right? And um, we work together to develop a solution of how they could reduce their um, fuel consumption on that side. And on that side, they basically had two tower cranes, two big tower cranes that uh, were working hard and also um, a hoist. So that's a material hoist that goes up and down the side of the building. These hoists, which look a bit like a temporary freight elevator, take materials up to where they are needed. They're an ideal use case for flywheels. And yeah, I mean, these, these are ideal examples of dynamic duty cycles because basically every time that hoist goes up, up and down, there's a big power spike when it lifts up and basically when it drops down, right, there's no, no power required, right? It does that on, 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 on gravity. That initial movement, when, when the lift starts, 
to overcome that initial friction, right? That's a big spike. And then as it moves up, the power is also a little bit lower. And the same is true for the, for the tower crane. So whenever the tower crane lifts up a load, that initial moment when it lifts it up, it requires a huge amount of power. And then when it moves around or drops the load, the power demand is very low. And so when you, when you record um, the power that's being requested from a diesel chainset, you get a super spiky um, power profile, you know, constantly it's spiking up and then it's dropping down again. While construction sites might not appear as exciting as an F1 track, the equipment on site is making the same demands on power supplies. This power profile is more dynamic than a Formula One racing car, right? It's like constantly being, when the tower crane is working hard, it, this engine is constantly being asked to go full power and then no power, full power, no power, full power, no power. And of course, you know, um, when you have a diesel chainset and you see that sometimes when they have to go from idle to full power, sometimes they puff out a black cloud of smoke of unburned fuel, right? They don't a diesel engine doesn't like that kind of dynamic load application. And so what we do, we, we add a flywheel system uh, into the mix and the flywheel is very good at dampening out these high power spikes, right? And as a result, the diesel engine can run much closer to the average power consumption on uh, on, on, on such a construction site. A flywheel makes the generator a little less efficient, but it also makes it more able to meet these sudden spikes in power demand. To put that into some perspective, like um, one of these tower cranes, they might have a peak power demand of around 200 kilowatts, but the average power demand might only be 20 kilowatts, right? So a factor of 10. And so it's, 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 a, it's a huge, huge difference. Um, and if you if you use the flywheel, um, you basically um, use energy from the diesel chainset. So you're burning fuel to keep get the flywheel spinning, right, and to keep it spinning. And so if you compare a diesel chainset with our flywheel system on, and it, and the same size diesel chainset without our flywheel system on, you have a higher fuel consumption with the one with our flywheel system. On. But because the flywheel is storing energy and is then deliver, able to deliver power on top of the diesel chainset, you can achieve with a small diesel chainset the performance of a much, much larger diesel chainset. And if you compare the fuel consumption of the large diesel chainset versus a small one with our flywheel system on, then you have a massive fuel saving. The fuel savings are immense, and this could play a significant role in helping the construction sector reach net zero. Typically on a tower crane, we have uh, usually fuel savings in the region of 55% to 60%, that order of magnitude. So it's it's really quite significant. And I mean, on hoist, it's even even more. So we have some hoists where we, where we reduce the fuel consumption by 70, 71%. And the flywheels don't just reduce the need for diesel. They can also support other fuels. Our technology is agnostic to what is the main power source. We also have some sites where we power off of mains connections, where we basically ensure that um, the available mains capacity is not exceeded. We have some customers who run hydrogen, right? So that's uh, something in the future. But again, hydrogen burns um, as a gas in, uh, um, in these kind of chainsets. So the load response is slower than a diesel chainset. So you can again use the flywheel to get a hydrogen engine to react much faster to loads. And we are also working with batteries, right? Because again, as we said, the battery likes to operate in quite a narrow band in terms of power. And also, you know, uh, you don't want to overheat the battery with these high power um, charge and discharge events. So, so you can reduce the cooling requirement if you can take that out with a flywheel system. 
system, the, the big spikes in power. And so we, we have some applications where we combine um, a battery, which is very good at long-term energy provision at low power and the flywheel, which does the short-term high spikes in power. The entrants we've looked at today are all playing an important role in helping the world meet its net zero goals. Their work will be celebrated at the Engineering Matters Awards Ceremony in London at the end of March. Our next episode will be the last in this series, looking at the final Engineering Matters Awards shortlisted entries in the net zero category. Engineering Matters is a production of Reby Media. This episode was written and produced by Kiri Yaranathan and hosted by me, Johnny Dowling, and by Rian Owen. Editing by Will North, series supervision by John Young, sound engineering by Ross McPherson, and our own man who judges all we do is Rory Harris. Thank you for listening. You can find us on all podcast apps, on our website, engineeringmatters.reby.media, and on LinkedIn.